Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, And today I'm delighted to be talking to Carol Schultz, who's sitting in front of me, looking resplendent. I think in in the US, is that right, Carol? Yep, Colorado. Oh, another one from Colorado. We've had a run of guests from Colorado. It must be you something have. in the water or the weather. Must be. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Well, um, I help companies build what I refer to as talent-centric organizations. Um, and that what that means is you have a talent strategy that is built and designed to support the business strategy and vision of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but it starts, I can't do any of that until I get the leadership team aligned. And typically people think they are aligned and they're not. <laughs> um, so that first piece is really all about uh, discovery and discovering the gaps Right. Like on a scale of one to 10, uh, you know, one being you were really just a disaster and not even remotely aligned in any way to 10 being, you know, we are in that boat, we are rowing and we are winning every race we're in. So ultimately, uh, those discovery meetings, which I start with, look for those gaps in vision, business strategy, how people are communicating, et cetera. Yeah. And um, once we mean? work on that process, we can go ahead and, and start doing the um, building a talent strategy to support and, that. And what, and what does a mat aligned mean? What, what, what do you actually mean that? Because Well, mean it means that every, everybody's on the same page with regards to the vision, the company vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently asked a founder of this who I'm getting ready to fly to New York uh, next week and do discovery with her team, her and her team. And uh, when I asked her about, if I asked everybody, on the team, what their vision is, what the company's vision is, what would they say? She goes, well, they'd say it's, you know, they used her name so-and-so's vision. And so it's not really the right answer. She says, I know. So it's, it's not about zero and one. So we want to make sure everybody's aligned with what the vision is. We want to make sure everybody's aligned on the same page with what our business strategy is. People are not working in, in, in a vacuum. They're not working in silos. People are communicating effectively I mean, we have different, you know, in, in, in organizations, this is not new, but somebody that's Gen X like myself might need to be communicated with differently than somebody in Gen Z. Yeah. 
right? So it's a matter of what's the best way we can do things. And then taking what we've learned and that alignment and then making sure it gets disseminated throughout the entire organization. Right. And so based a, on all that, we can then build a, a talent strategy. Okay. Um, let's come back to that in a minute. So when you talk about the differences in communication between Gen X and Z, what, what are those differences? Well, uh, one of the, there, there, I think many, um, and you, and I can't just make a blanket statement. I'm making a general statement, right? People in my generation, I mean, I am used to wanting to be on the phone. I have, there's other people that I know in my generation that all they want to do is text. And I'm like, I'm not going to have a conversation with you on the text. Okay. And the, and there are many reasons for that. Uh, one of which of course is that it, and I don't know what it is in text. I suspect it's worse than email. But an email, north of 50% of receivers misinterpret the message. Right. Okay. So I, I would assert it's even worse on text. I haven't done the research to, to find out because um, I'm sure there's been research on that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, a great example is my, my executive assistant who's, who's, a gen, who's a Gen Z. And you know, we don't talk on the phone very often. We talk when we need to for getting ready to prepare a new article for publication or something like that mm. um, or a new strategy. And then once that is, she would just prefer to send me voice memos <laughs> via text yeah. and have me send her voice memos back via text. <laughs> yeah. okay. And it's just easier that way for her. And I'm actually okay with that. I and mean, when we need to get on the phone and talk, we do. Yeah. Okay. So is this down to uh, generational differences or just personal preferences? I think both, right? I think that, you know, Gen Z grew up with technology. I didn't, you yeah. know, Gen X didn't. And, well, we had a different um, sort of technology, didn't we? We still had technology, it was just different. Well, I mean, different. I mean, you know, the, the Gen X or Gen Z, I mean, they, yeah, they grew up with smartphones, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they grew up with a lot of, a lot of stuff that I did not grow up with, right? Yeah. So- you know, I, I didn't have my first computer, I didn't sit in front of my first computer until I was in graduate school in the late eighties. Mm. So I think that it's a, it's really a matter of being open to what works best for each individual. That's really right. what it is. You, you know, you can't say, well, you're Gen X. I'm going to communicate with you, with you like this, yeah. you know, as a manager, I'm going to go in and I'm going to talk to each person on my team and say, what's the most effective way for me to communicate with you so that you that you don't misinterpret, that you understand, that you learn. And it's not all about me adjusting to them because it's a two-way street. Yeah. But I need to know what they need to succeed before we can even start to talk about what's the best way to do that. Yeah, makes sense. Assuming they know, of course. Yeah, well, right. Yeah, there's a lot of people <laughs> who are massively unself-aware. Um, yeah, no question. <laughs> and when you talk about talent-centric, I mean, what would, what would, what would be an organization that wasn't talent-centric? Well, it's like I said, it's, I think it's most organizations are not talent centric at this point. This is so what does that mean? Then what does talent centric mean? Talent centric means that you're, I mean, it really, it really means three different things, Russell. It means that, as I said, leadership working under an aligned vision mm -hmm. that everyone can articulate and everyone meaning not just the C-suite, right? And the focus is actually on your people. Yeah. I've had people say to me, well, we're customer centric. Well, you can't be customer centric if you're not talent centric. It's not right. possible. So everything you do drives better experiences for all your people. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, so I, can Olympian just to, for the yeah. audience's yeah. clarification? So actually, you're using the word talent and people interchangeably, really. Yes. 
Okay. I am. Good. I am. That makes so sense. thanks for, thanks for mentioning that. Um, you know, and then, and then the second piece of that is, as I said, a talent development strategy uh, from recruiting to succession and succession mm -hmm. beyond the C-suite. Often when people think of succession, they only think of the C-suite. Yeah. Well, you better start thinking. I mean, if, if, if your, if your engineering department will suffer by losing one or two people, you better think about what you need to do to have a bench of talent behind yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this includes building diversity. I was going to um, ask you about that. So what do you mean yeah. by diversity? Because there's a lot of lip well, service paid to that at the moment. Isn't it, you're, you're exactly right. You know, and I've had this conversation often about, you know, DE&I has gotten so, so famous or so important among in companies and, I had read something recently that Twitter dumped most of their diversity, equity, and inclusion team. They had, I think there were 30 and they were down to two, hmm. which probably isn't enough. But really diversity, what I look at diversity as in a, so that you don't suffer from groupthink, right? Yeah. If you have people that are have have all had the same type of life experiences, you're probably not going to get a lot of diverse thinking. And being challenged in your organization. So I don't believe it's about checking boxes. I never have believed it's about checking boxes. Hmm. I believe that you've got, you know, some people are just raised differently. Yeah. And they're going to come out of those experiences with different, different ideas, different opinions, different suggestions. Yeah. That's what I believe diversity is. And that matters if you've got a very diverse customer base. So if you're treating your people right, then you end up with a diverse customer base. Does that equally apply if you have a very non-diverse customer base, then do you need to bother with diversity? Well, that's a really great question. And I, and I, you know, it's funny, I haven't actually ever thought about that, but even if you don't have a, I mean, it's, it's the diversity inside your company is about building a successful company, right? So I, I, I mean, I would find it hard. I mean, you know, I'd like to hear an example of a of somebody's customer base that's not diverse. Well, I, I, say, I just don't. I say in plant management, for example, you know, where you you're selling uh, large construction tools to to uh, through a procurement process to mm -hmm. very traditional sorts of organizations. Right. Well, that again, that's it's a really that's a really great question, and I think that. I mean, I disagree. I'm just posing it for us to discuss so people no, can I, understand. No, I totally get yeah. that. I totally yeah. get that. And and I, I still believe that a diverse organization is important because, I mean, if you're selling to plant managers in Africa, that's a different culture than if you're selling, selling to plant managers here in the United States. Yeah. Or in the UK. Yeah, that's true. Or, you know, anywhere else. So I guess... So from that standpoint, and that's how I that's how I start to think about it, is diversity is not just about color. It's not just about how someone was raised. It's about culture. So so therefore, I'm, I'm supposing. I mean, I've always believed that the true measure of effective diversity is conflict, because that's what you want in an organization. Now, there's a difference between conflict and fighting. You know, one's right, inevitable. healthy conflict. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not non-personal. <Yeah. laughs> But for me, yeah. that's always been the key thing. And the, and, mm -hmm. and the biggest problem and the biggest failure I've seen in leadership is their inability to be adults and deal with conflict. I, so, I agree. Yeah. So so what I was just going to say, you agree. It's a shame. Yeah, I totally an agree. And, and but so, so tell me why you agree. Well, I agree because 
no one, I don't believe anyone. And particularly if you're, if you're at the executive level and you're not ever being challenged, you're never going to grow. Mm. It's just, I mean, I, I, I can, you know, I had a founder that I worked with, um, who founded a startup and, you know, it was many of our initial calls. I was consulting for him. Um, you know, it's basically, it, it always landed for me as it's going to be my way or the highway. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, listen, do you think you're going to build a company like that? That is not going to work. Hmm. And, you know, well, of course, we talked in a lot more detail about that. Yeah. You can't just say, well, there's, uh, you know, what's, what, what do you think your exit strategy is going to be? And, and most startups won't talk about that. He talked about it with me and he says, well, there will be no exit. We'll never go public and we're never going to sell. Yeah. Never is a pretty strong word. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I said, and never going to sell. That's one thing, but you know, nobody's going to go to your startup unless they think they're going to earn money. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care if you think you're going to change the world. That's all great. That's yeah, why we're all involved full. with this, yeah. but, but, but nobody is that altruistic. No. Okay. If you're going to, if somebody's going to take a risk and go to your startup, you better be offering them something Yeah. because in a startup initially, the pay is not that good. So there better be some equity or something somewhere that's mm. going to pay out sometime. Mm. And, uh, yes, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And, and the people who yeah. often need the most challenge are the people at the top of the organization, the C-suite, because they're the people who are the most risk averse and development averse because they, they've got a vested interest in maintaining the status quo, which is often a big problem. Let, well, let me, yeah. Let me ask you, let me ask you a, a weird question. Forgive me if this seems weird. I'm just mm. personally interested. Yeah. You talked about diversity and you've talked about all of these different things. Do you think different parts of America are capable of doing those things? So, for example, if you're oh, in certain yeah. states in the states, I mean, you know, how does I mean, how does diversity work in Florida now? You know, what? what yeah. Tell me, how does that work? Yeah, I've listened to lots of people in the states. That's a fantastic question, actually. And here's how I would approach this is that, you know, once it, it, and for me, it comes. So I'm going to go back to those dis initial discovery meetings mm. with the company. Right. And learning and seeing where the gaps are. A lot of those gaps, they're not just, you know, this is our vision and we're not all aligned in it or, you know, this is. You know, um, I think my department's more important than your department. That's another issue. But it, it ultimately, I believe that none of that is going to ever work without communication, right? Sure. So that takes me to the importance of coaching. Sure. And to your point, we now live in a world, uh, you know, I'm sure it's just as bad where you are, but maybe Different. it is, maybe it's not. Um, but it's really divisive here in the United States. Yeah. Okay. Anybody listening to this that lives here knows this. And, you know, we've gotten to a point where you just, people, it's like you can't have a conversation with somebody without them having a tantrum over it. Yeah. Because they don't agree. You know, there's misinformation. There's people lying. You know, you may have seen the news yesterday that Rupert Murdoch finally admitted that, you know, they'd been lying about the election and they knew that it was going on. Yeah. Um. And how do you, how do you circumvent or fix that? You fix it with, I believe, and this is based on my own training in coaching, which started back in 1998, right? What's that? 25 years ago, which is 
starting to, so the third piece of what it is to be town centric, and that's where I'm getting at right now is built in blind spot awareness right? from established feedback loops, right? So it's shifting how you think and therefore how you work. So what great coaching does, and that's, you know, Graham, I'm going to put that in quotes because mm. these days everyone says, oh, I'm a coach. Really? Oh, what's yeah. your training? What's your experience? Yeah. And a lot of people, I had somebody recently say she'd had a coach for a business coach. And I said, that was, you know, that knew her business. I said, was she actually a coach or was she an advisor? Yeah. So many people call themselves coaches and they're really advisors, right? Which so that's fine. why I put myself out there as a coach and yeah. advisor. I do yeah. both. Yeah, exactly right. Right. So it's a matter of sitting down with your people. You know, some of it's one-on-one -on -one coaching, some of it's group, especially when it comes to communication and starting to ask the questions that give people the aha moments of, I never looked at it that way. Yeah. I never realized that this particular word usage lands and could land in the world of somebody else as being really negative or derogatory. Yeah. So I believe that's the first step to, in answering your question, to have people, you know, that believe, let's say the lies, the big lie, whatever that might be, or whatever other lie there might be. Hmm. on any side of the political spectrum. So they're on both. Um, and getting people to realize that maybe it's not quite this way or just because somebody believes that doesn't mean we can't work together effectively. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's true. Real, it's really, it's really like one of the exercises I do with people is looking at, you know, as they start to tell me, commiserate or tell me a story about something I'm making notes about what's inside that story that's actually the actual what happened. Like the facts. Like the yeah. guy was speeding is a story. The guy was going 55 and a 35 is a fact. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So one side you have the what's happened or the fact. And the other side, as I'm listening to that, is the actual story made up around the facts. What happens is like a Venn diagram, those, those things collapse on top of each other. Yeah. And people live it like it's the truth. Yeah, the drama. <laughs> and it's really not the truth. So, so unraveling those things takes time, and that's what a lot of this, a lot of this, that's how you accomplish what you're asking. But you're you're saying you 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 just skirted around something I thought was quite telling a second ago. Mm. You said something along the lines of, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so yeah. correct me if I get it wrong. But yeah. you were sort of saying, um. You don't have to like someone. You didn't say this, but you don't have to like someone to get along. You don't have to agree with someone to get along. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, you know, that sort of thing. So actually, in a sense, actually, authenticity loses its point, isn't it? Because all that matters is the behaviors in the workplace. Forget your beliefs. Forget your religion. Forget your views. Forget your whatever mm -hmm. it is. Who cares? Just do your job. Well, yeah, but but it, that's true. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put a caveat on that. Um, one of my great coaches said to me many, some time ago, um, you don't have business problems. You have personal problems that show up in your business. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's not quite that simple, right? Because, you know, when I go in, I'm not going in and, and starting to coach people about, let's talk about all your personal problems, but that always creeps into the work. Yeah. Somehow. Um, because, you know, who I am as a human being has been shaped by things that have happened to me. 
Oh, the yeah. baggage, the luggage that I've been carrying around with me my whole life, for yeah. example. It's all done to all your that parents. baggage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. being able to uh, break through that, uncover blind spots, give people those aha moments, what that does is it actually enables them to start looking at things in a very different way. Yes. So it's not, like I said, so, you know, I mean, there are certain things that, you know, that I believe. Right. I believe, you know, as I think George Carlin said it first, organized religions, the root of all evil. Um, please don't send me hate mail because I send that to your listeners. But I believe organized right wing religion is at the root of all re all evil. Mm. OK, now, if I'm working with somebody, for example, who is a member of one of those organized right wing religions, that's likely shaping everything that they do. Yeah. So. How do we get along if we start, if something personal comes up in a conversation? Mm. Because I'm self-aware, I'm at least going to know how to talk to them and how to ask questions and to start working on getting them to see what the facts are of what they're saying to me and what the story is and how they've collapsed on top of each other. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in one conversation, Russell, it doesn't. It takes no, time to do that. Yeah. So you have to be, you have to be open to listen. And you have to just be open to this is how this person has, you know, been, they were raised this way, maybe this, so this is how they feel. And they just don't see that there's any other way to see things. Yes. So it limits so, them, frankly. Yeah, that right. But, but, but maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to be said for a little less self-awareness in this world. So give me an example of how that how that would be a positive or you know thing or effective because I'm because, not so sure I agree because, with that. Because I work with lots of organizations that aren't mm -hmm. self-aware, they have no alignment and they're massively successful. And um I think I think interesting. Yeah, there's tons of organizations out there, you know, small family businesses, none of these things take place, but they're massively successful. Mm -hmm. And I think I think we get ourselves sometimes as consultants, advisors, coaches into a sort yeah. of stereotypical paradigm about what good should look like. Right. And it's often written from the business schools or some mm -hmm. rare unicorn entrepreneur who's built mm -hmm. a big business. The fact is, most businesses aren't like that, can't be like that. But it doesn't mean they can't aspire to it. But I think right. you can be equally um you know some of the most amazing organizations are crime yeah. organizations they're the ones that really give you great results but right. i see so many organizations that underperform at leadership have poor communication they don't know how they're not aligned they have poor talent strategy yeah. they have no vision and they're, and they're doing still successful very very well right and and i agree with that i've seen you know in th the i'll go in on 31 years that i've been in the business i've i i could point to you many must. many companies that i believe yeah. are not talent centric that have been extremely successful yeah. Here's would be my question. And first of all, it takes them to realize or to start asking the question, is this something we should be looking at? And that's the self-awareness, you see. And well, so if you don't right. if, if you don't have that, then is, isn't that wonderful to operate in that degree of pure, happy hmm. ignorance? Well, you know if you're successful, <laughs> if you're successful. Maybe, but here's here's what I here's what I would be asking to the employees. How happy are you here, really? Paid well. Who cares? Well, I don't know. It's not always about the money for people. I mean, no. This I, is this is what people have been talking about here in this yeah, country. Yeah. This is not. I mean, they're talking about it more. This it's not new that they're talking about money. They're just now giving it buzzwords. 
Yes. I'm right. For things that have been going on since I'm sure before I started my career 30, almost one years ago. Yeah. And, and so, so, you know, what do they say? Ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. I think that I am not here to change. I mean, m- my goal is to make a difference. That's what drives me is to make a difference. You know, I, I, I had a conversation some, some time ago with a chief human resources officer who was looking for executive coaching for the executive, for the leadership team to start and to start this process. And she says, the only problem is the CEO who was the founder, they had gotten rid of the prior CEO. The founder came back in yeah. and started the company was a young, when he was like in his twenties Yeah, and they'd grown through inorganic growth through acquisition. Yeah. And she says, the only problem is, is that our founder and our CFO have no interest in coaching. Yeah. And I, I said, would they, are they open to the conversation? Because it's possible they, I mean, they're living in a world of, I mean, I've had, I've had people tell me before they had a great coach saying, oh, I don't need that. There's nothing wrong with me. Hmm. Right. Often that's what people think. Hmm. So I said, if they're open to at least a conversation, I'm happy to have a conversation and say, what is it about this that you think you don't need or won't work for you or that you're saying no to? And if somebody's willing to have that conversation with me, I'm willing to have, and they've still, I, I may not be able to, you know, change them out of that. They still be, maybe a, you know, screw you. Um, but I said to her, I can't, I can't do the work for you. Hmm. Um, and, and a lot of people wouldn't walk away from that. Oh, I would. Right. But a yeah. lot of people wouldn't. That's the point. I know. Oh, you I know, know, I had somebody yeah. tell me last week, I told her this story and yeah. she said, you know, Cindy she boots. says, I think you should have considered taking it, even though, yeah. because she said the level underneath them yeah. all wanted yeah. coaching. Yeah. And I said, the problem is, I mean, that will help them, but I can't help you as an organization no. without the leadership team being involved. It just in makes, that. it just makes the level underneath them even more miserable. Of course it does. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I said. I said, I just, I said, I don't want to take thousands of dollars from you, tens of thousands of dollars from you. Um, because what what'll probably happen happen is they'll get great coaching and then they're all going to quit. <laughs> yeah. Well, then everyone will be happy because they're going to realize they want to be in a better organization. <laughs> yeah. So I love so. your forthright approach, uh, Carol. It's been a joy to listen to you. But and I know you've written a book. So is the book as forthright as you? That's what I want to know. Yes, it is. Um, Tell me and, about it. Yeah. Well, the book's called Powered by People. How talent-centric organizations master recruitment, retention, and revenue, and how to build one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had an interview with somebody who I can't. I think it off camera. He said this to me. He said, "You're, you're my hundredth interview this year. You're my seven hundredth interview. You know, most of which are people who've written books." And he says, "This is the first book I've read that actually really captured me, and I wanted to read all the way through it." That's good which I appreciated. And that's, you know, I'm not breaking my arm, patting myself on the back here. It was very important to me that because, you know, I, I, you can see behind me, your audience can't, but behind me is a bookshelf full of business books, most of which I have not been able to get through. Yeah. They're too long. They're, they're too long. Often Mm -hmm. they're too long. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're dull to your point. I mean, they're, they're just, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. So, you know, my book is filled and, and it grabs you right from chapter one. Um, at least that's what everybody's told me. And because right in chapter one, I, I debunk something that people have been talking about for many, many years. And 
Who you, you know, tease. I would not be you my tease. authentic. You're going to just leave it like that hanging. There, well, aren't it, you? it's, it's, no, no, it's, don't tell us. That's okay. good. I like that. I like a cliffhanger. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, you can, you can download the first chapter uh, right off my website for free. I'm happy to, yeah. you know, I give that out. So anybody can get that first chapter for free. Uh, us, we're actually now in the us. process of getting it onto Audible, Amazon, okay. and iTunes right now. So, so tell so us where that we should can be get... done within hopefully the next week. So tell us where we can get hold of the book. We get the whole, you can get hold of the book on Amazon. You can go to my website and get the, you know, get right to the link from Amazon, but you can go right to yeah. Amazon for and, it. And, and remind people of the, the link on your website. The website, my website is verticalelevation.com. Very good. And, uh, and remind us again of the name of the book. Powered by People, How Talent-Centric Organizations Master Recruitment, Retention, and Revenue, and How to Build One. I can tell you've said that a few times. That's really good. Well, look, it's I should know the name of my own book. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's people who've forgotten, I'll tell you. Uh, it's been a joy to talk. Thank you, Russell. It's been a it's really been joy a to talk. I wish you me. so much you know, luck with the book. I don't think you need luck. It's um, you know, just going to smash it, hopefully. So that's great. It's been fascinating to have a conversation with you. I really enjoyed it. Well, um, me too. So you take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.